Yo, <laughs> John Fitch here is John Fitch knows nothing. And uh, this is actually take two because I forgot to hit go live on the last go. But um, yeah, we have a good guest today. Uh, Sean Smith is a, a psychologist and he's going to help us figure some stuff out. I'll, uh, I'll play my intro. I played two intros kind of already. So I guess I'm warmed up. Let's play, play this again. screw that one up but uh let's get going <laughs> what's going on john hey man good well, to see you good to see you again yeah <laughs> i'm impressed with the ukulele playing that's pretty neat well it's uh it comes in handy you only you know it's four strings and you really only need to learn a few songs to impress people <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was, I was, yeah <laughs> yeah uh but yeah, I think someday I might do a, a ukulele game course or something like that with how to pick up chicks by playing ukulele. <laughs> ukulele game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you need game if you have a ukulele because it's just yeah, no. such a charming instrument. Everybody it wants is. to hear the ukulele. It's a happy instrument. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's like having a dog. You know, everybody's going to talk to you when you have a dog. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thing. And you've got um, a dog and a ukulele, so you've got a dog and a ukulele. And uh, we were saying before, I have I have two sons also, so um, yeah, I got a, I got a full life. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Um, yeah. So we have you today, and I wanted to uh, have you here because because um, you know people talk a lot about mental health, and there's a lot of people who have problems with mental health, and there's a lot of people who telling men to always go to counseling. You need to see a counselor. You need help. You need mental health. And then, you know, I had to, uh, I had to go to some counseling and, uh, psychiatrists when I was going through my, my divorce and everything was just kind of really soy. And I went through the motions just because I was asked to, but you know, I didn't, I did not vibe with what was being told to me or what I was supposed to be doing. And, you know, it just, it just, I was just there because I was told to be there. And, uh, one of the questions I, I kind of want to talk to you was, what what things can men look for or questions can they ask in order to uh find a good a good therapist yeah it's it's tough these days and i'm kind of curious what your experience was and you you tell me to my mom business that won't bother me at all but we can talk about it here because I've, I've already talked about it a lot because it's just confusing to me and i don't want anybody else to have to like go through that because yeah. it's i mean like the uh the couples counseling we did, like I, I had a thirty-minute like debate with the guy that there was a biological difference between men and women. And he was taking I, the position that there's no biological difference. He was saying that there's difference between me and my wife, but not a difference between men and women. I don't understand what that means. Thank you. <laughs> was I was this a I psychologist. Was, yes, oh, I, I was the bad guy, and I was closed-minded and and whatever, and I I had an anger problem because this guy didn't believe in biology and I just, I couldn't, I could not grasp the idea that like a, a doctor who could prescribe drugs to people could be allowed to have that opinion. 
Right. What What other messages were they trying to shove down your throat that didn't well, sit well? Uh, well, mostly what I found out was it took me a while to kind of grasp, but it wasn't really a counseling for us to like work anything out. What it was is she had made up their mind and she'd already moved on and her talking to her therapist, me talking to the group person together with her. And then I had a men's group. It was all kind of designed. They're all talking together behind my back to kind of get me to be okay with her going with some other guy. Okay. It didn't. Yeah. So like the whole thing was nothing, had nothing to do with, you know, Oh, we need to work on the problems to fix this relationship. It was like, Oh no, it's okay for her to do this. It's okay with them. Wasn't okay with you. I assume. Yeah. No, I guess they didn't check with you. They didn't check with me, but everybody right. else was in on it. And I was a bad person for not, you know, going along with it. Okay. Yeah. That, that's kind of unusual to hear. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. You went through that. Yeah. And then like the, the men's group, the final straw for me was they, there was a day with two men, they kind of almost started crying because uh, the judge Kavanaugh thing, uh-huh. right? Like the, the people accusing Kavanaugh of uh, sexual assault, 25 years ago with unsubstantiated evidence at all. Mm. Um, I was like, this is, this is crazy. Like this could happen to my son. Somebody could just accuse people without evidence. This is horrifying. But then when I got to the counseling thing, they're, they're all like, yeah, me and my wife sent flowers to that woman. We couldn't believe this horrible thing is happening. And I'm just like, I got to get out of here. What was the goal of the men's group? Uh, it was just, I don't even know, man. Cause it didn't really seem like anybody was like moving forward with anything. Right. Um, we, you would come in and we would talk about, you know, what we were doing at that moment and what kind of wins we'd had. And then everybody had a hug. Okay. <laughs> just, <laughs> there, there are some good mental health clinicians out there. Have you ever met any of them? I, I have not. I have no. not. Not many have, I guess. No. Uh-uh. And, yeah. I, and it's like, where do you go about finding them? I think that, and that's kind of what I wanted to get at it with you. Maybe it's tough, man. I've, I've been, cause you, um, we've been chatting for a couple of days here about having this conversation and you mentioned that that was one of your questions. And I deal with this question all the time because yeah. I'm full up, you know, I, I do a clinical practice here in Colorado, but then I, I can do some coaching across borders that, you know, it's, it's a little different, but I, I can't take anybody, you know, I'm turning people away on a daily basis. And a lot of the good clinicians I know, it's the same problem. They're turning people away on a daily basis. And so this problem, I haven't really sorted out a solution for it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some questions you can ask, I think, if you go on to some of these directories online and you're looking around for somebody in your neighborhood, because maybe you got something legit you need to deal with, like some anxiety disorder or mm-hmm. um, you know, some substance abuse, or there's something going on at home. There's a good clinician can really be you know worth their weight in gold if they help you avoid certain problems and get back to life and yeah. if you go to some some um online directories like psychology today or whatever that's a good place to start vetting people yeah. and i've started recommending to guys that they ask a couple of questions when they're interviewing people assuming you can find somebody like if, mm-hmm. if you're going through your insurance plan that we can talk about that later but that's you know, you get mixed results there and usually end up, if you want good service, you end up paying for it. And mm-hmm. I've been recommending to guys that they ask, number one, you interview somebody on the phone and, and you ask mm-hmm. them, what do you think of the American Psychological Association's guidelines for yeah. working with boys and men? And this was, for anybody who doesn't know, this was a set of guidelines that came out in 2019. And it's really, 
you had clinical a, guidelines yeah. are supposed to be like best practices when you're working mm. with a particular disorder or a particular population. This is really just like a handbook for radical feminism, these guidelines. And so if you ask somebody, what do you think of those guidelines? The answer I would want to hear is, well, they're a mixed bag, but on balance, they're not very, they're not very useful and they're actually kind of destructive. That's the answer I would want to hear. Yeah. You have, I was listening today, you have a, you put a video up on YouTube where you talk about your kind of response to uh, the APA's, you know, criticism of masculinity or even their, their war on it. And yeah, they, everything is like a feminist of view or approach to dealing with everything. It pretty much is. Yeah. You, you can see it in all the research. Um, well, I shouldn't say all the research. That's, that's not true. Evolutionary psychology, the researchers tend to be pretty, um, pretty unbiased because they're just interested in how things work, but there's so many other areas of the field where like social psychology, it's, it's embarrassingly bad these days. It's so ideological, ideologically driven, but I want to throw out that second question that, that you can ask. Um, my two questions that I think guys should be asking right now. So one is, what do you think of the guidelines? The other one was, um, what, what issues do you feel that it's important to discuss with your clients? And the answer should be, I don't push an agenda on my clients. My clients have my undivided attention. I have no political agenda here. That should mm -hmm. be, that is the only acceptable answer. If they come back with anything like toxic masculinity or anything at all, mm -hmm. you know, vote for Trump. That's an agenda too. You're not paying yeah. to hear that you should vote for Trump. Um, yeah. So those are my two questions that I recommend. Okay. Those are good. That's a really good start. <laughs> well, um, it'll, it'll weed out a lot of folks, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest, one of the biggest misconceptions a lot of people have is that men should emote and react to emotions the same way women do. When we have different brains, we have different neurology, like our neurons fire differently to the same response or the same uh, stimuli. So why would we feel the same way about the same thing? Yeah, we have the, the same basic emotions. We have the same basic brains, but there's so much in, in, the, yeah, there's so much in the differences between the gender biologically and then socially as well. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, so yeah, and guys that there are a lot of psychologists out there that they get it, and but they you have to dig for them, you have to look for them. Mm. Uh, you you kind of got into this because uh, you're interested in violence prevention. Originally, that was what got me into psychology a long time ago. Yeah, I'm talking many years ago now. Is that growing up in a, in a bar atmosphere and watching bar fights? Yeah. Well, it was a, the bar atmosphere. I was like the, the quick version of the story is um, I was nine years old. My dad bought a truck stop in Commerce City, Colorado, which is a little industrial area north of Denver. And so that's, that's where I spend my nights and my weekends from nine to 16, basically. And it was the coolest thing in the world to grow up in that environment. There's, there's no better environment for for a kid to grow up. But it also got me really interested in people because there's so much going on around me as a nine-year-old that I didn't understand. I saw these adults doing these things that I guess looking back, some of it made sense and some of it didn't. At the time, yeah. none of it made sense. And part yeah. of it was violence and aggression and watching my dad handle people when things were starting to get out of control in the bar because he was very good. He's the kind of guy that could kick you out and make you feel like he's doing you a favor while he's kicking you out, mm. which is a very good skill to have. And so that, that got me interested in violence prevention um, as a kid. Yeah. And then that yeah, I, eventually led in psychology. So I, I do a little uh, self-defense stuff and that's one of the things. <laughs> a little self-defense stuff. A little, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> like basic self-defense stuff. Cause I've, uh, um, I've been through some, 
you know, combatives courses and things like that. And there's just little basic things people need to know, like just space management, knowing to, mm -hmm. you know, to keep away from people and how to brace and stuff like that. But like, uh, the number one thing to, to know is <clears throat> situational awareness, what's around you, uh, you know, don't put yourself to a bad situation, but then, but then diffusing, you know, people who are aggressive. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the, one of the main things I teach is like to agree and amplify with a lot of people. Cause usually when they get angry, they, they're looking, you know, if you bring the same energy back at them, that's when the fight starts to happen. Yeah. But if you can, you know, amplify their insults or whatever and, and agree with them, They'll, they'll get bored of it. They're not pushing back and they'll leave you alone unless unless they're a real predator who's trying to hurt mm -hmm. you. Do you have any other uh, quick little tips that somebody could take with them as far as diffusing uh, a possibly violent situation? Well, it kind of depends on what kind of aggressor they are. I, I divide aggressors up into two, two types. There's And the, there's not just two types, but this is how I think about it. That there's the person who's being predatory, like you're talking about. Mm -hmm. They're actually trying to get over on you. They're trying to accomplish yeah. something. And then there's the person who's cornered. And I think you have to handle those two. You, you have to be able to assess fairly quickly where someone's coming from. And if you can put them into one of those two camps, then you got a lot more options. Like if they're cornered, Okay, well, you know to back off and, and not corner them and try to give them options and give them ways out. If they're being mm -hmm. predatory, then you've got to draw a little more of a line and use a little more finesse, like agree and amplify. Um, humor and redirection is redirection is pretty good, particularly if someone's drunk, like drunk people. Are yeah, yeah. Redirect, I bounce for a long time. So, yeah, yeah. redirection. So what's, yeah. what's that over there? <laughs> yeah. Let's go look at that thing. And then you get them outside and then you just, oh, you can't come back in. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So nice finesse like that. I, I let me, like let that. me, let me talk. Let's talk. It's loud in here. Let's talk in the back. Yeah. Let's go to the alley. You go out the back alley. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That was a so how long did you bounce for? A uh, long time. So when I moved out to, uh, to California, that's what I started doing was bouncing. Um, man, when was it? It's probably four or five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bounced in, uh, Luckily, I got into a spot where I was bar backing for a little while. I was like the utility bouncer. Like if something really went down, I had a, I was supposed to jump over the bar and handle stuff. Yeah. But like mostly I was washing dishes <clears throat> for a little while. So I'm guessing with all of your background, you, you're probably not, you, you probably avoid street fights pretty. Yeah, I've, I've had, I've had what, 45 fights, 43 professional fights, uh -huh. to amateur. I, I've had less than five real world fights. Yeah, they were like drunken, they're drunken college things. Or I was in high school and I fought a teammate, mm -hmm. like in practice. It's like we got our helmets on. It's not really a fight, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so no, it's like uh, that's that's you know, I know my you know what's the what's the ROI on this activity? I've always been really good at like you know what what's the ROI on this? Why why am I doing yeah. this? This is really yeah. worth it. Yeah, and usually it's it's really not. Street fights are really worth avoiding. There was that case in where was it? It was in I don't. It was in Florida, I think. But somebody uh, went into a donut shop. He was an older guy, and he dropped a, a racial epithet. One of the guys who worked there, so the guy that worked there, punched him. And a few days later, the guy fell down and knocked him out. And a few days later, the guy's dead. So now he's looking at manslaughter charges. And you, yeah. you just don't want any part of it. There's no ROI on street fights. Yep. No, I uh, uh, my friend. I was a bouncer at, at Purdue and he, uh, a guy attacked him, but he countered, hit him. It was self-defense, but because he hit him and the guy got knocked out, the, it was a, it was a felony. Uh, and the police were going to file a felony charges on him. It didn't matter if the guy pressed charges or not. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so he had, you know, he joined the military the military helped wash that away. But like, 
that was not going to be a good ride for him. And it, he was, you know, he was clearly self-defense, but because of the way the law was written, like he was screwed. Yeah. Like, How old are you now? If you don't mind my asking. I'm 43. You, you don't look 43, but I'll take your word for it. You're 43. So you get to a point where like when you're 23, it's a lot different than when you're 43. You have a much different perspective yeah. on these oh, things. Yeah. And 23, you're, you're just, most of us are knuckleheads at 23. Mm -hmm. 43 yeah. you can start seeing these risks and yep. um, yeah there's a lot of well i mean i that's one of my gifts i think everybody's got some gifts but i could always smell trouble uh -huh. i don't know what it was my mom made me paranoid maybe or something but like yeah I, I always left the party like 10 minutes before the cops showed up or uh my my coach has a funny story i fought in daytona and we went out to the bars afterwards and we were sitting here at the bar and there's some guys in the counter and I could just feel their energy. And I was mm -hmm. like, Hey man, scoot over, keep your eyes on them. Five minutes later, they fight. Yeah. They started fighting. Like I just, you can, I don't know. I just can feel it. Crazy chicks. I've done a pretty good job staying away from crazy chicks too. Yeah. We're, so a little bit of paranoia is a good thing. I've always said this yeah. too much paranoia can make you miserable, but a little yep. bit in the right measure, it's a really good, useful quality. How do you think you develop this little bit of paranoia? I, I don't know. I, that, that's why I say I call it a gift because I don't I don't yeah. have an instant of why it would have happened. My mom just warning me and be like, oh, "Be careful, these type of people," you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So I'm always a little bit watch things play out. My dad was always a very stoic, slow response person. Mm -hmm. You know, it was pro problem solver, but he didn't freak out. He might he, he might say, "Damn it," or "Well, shit." that was it <laughs> he spent all day working hard on something make one mistake and have to start all over and all you'd hear from him is well shit <laughs> you know that was like the like epiphany like the apex of his like being mad <laughs> I see, so he's a pretty measured dude yeah the, the maddest i ever saw my dad was once um he was working on something and like the dog tripped him up and he chased it around the house for like two laps kicking the butt <laughs> It's like the it's like the only thing I really seemed to I was like, okay. So that was his worst day. Yeah, that was his worst that's, day. That's he not had bad. Dog kept getting in his way. One of the, so on psychology, one of the things that, that guys don't appreciate enough typically is their own intuition because mm -hmm. and I think it's because most of us grow up with the rub some dirt on it kind of mentality from other guys, which is which is a really good skill to have. You get hurt, you want to be able to walk it off, but you well if I think that our Go generation, ahead. I think our generation was rub some dirt on it, walk yeah. it off, suck yeah, it up. It's, yeah. Now it's, it's like it's just the thought of being hurt is enough to like have anxiety and yeah. Well, yeah, for for some people, I don't know what percentage of this generation of the younger generation it is. I think it's more than our generation, but um. well, and it's weird too because like I'm starting to like I, sometimes I date Generation Z girls and like their mentality is kind of opposite of millennial sometimes it's really that's interesting yeah yeah like so, i have like a couple like hardcore like trump like chicks and i'm just like i don't i don't want to get beat up when you go out we go out and you wear a trump hat <laughs> like we're in the bay area i'm gonna get stabbed yeah that could be pretty dangerous it's there pretty dangerous. yeah but listening to intuition is something that a lot of guys don't don't recognize or, or they they've not been told i think that it's okay that when you're something when your mind is talking to you and you've got that something tightness in your chest or you're waking up in the middle of the night or something is just eating at you i think that mm -hmm. so many of us are trained to just push through that rather than to stop and say wait a minute what's going on here 
you know, and just, just question it. That's all you really need to do with those little nonverbal signals from your body. We like to put the blinders on sometimes too, though, especially in relationships. Yeah. Like we get that intuition a lot and we're told that, oh, yeah. we're insecure or there's something wrong with us because we sense something's off. So we put our blinders on. Everything's fine. I don't see that. It's just a friend. Yeah. Yeah. That, listen, yeah. Ignoring your intuition is how it, guys end up in family court. hundred <clears throat> percent. Um, let's see here. Um, I have some questions I wrote. I've got through here. So, I mean, we didn't cover it fully, but like the, the APA, do you think it's kind of become more of a social justice like organization than uh, organization that's really going to help men out and specifically? Well, they're not going to do anything particularly to help men. The APA is a mixed bag. They're, there's two sides to our field, to psychology. There's the clinical side, guys like me that are just out in the trenches doing working in a clinic every day. And then there's the other side that's academic and they do research. And I, I also lump in the administrative side over there. So the APA is the administrative side and they are so far off the deep end with ideology that unless they're talking about something that's non-ideological, like cancer treatment or something, it's just infected with radical postmodernist critical race theory, radical mm -hmm. feminism. It's just insufferable. These people, it's just it, insufferable. It's, it's almost getting to the point where the medical stuff is getting to there too. Like, yeah. I think Fauci said today something that, you know, the COVID proves uh, whatever racism, systematic racism. How is that? I'm, I have no idea, but somehow mm -hmm. it affected non-white people more. So it proves systematic racism. Right. And I, I do think it, it affected non some non-white communities more than white communities. But if we're just going to call everything racist, that doesn't really lead us to a solution. Maybe we can no, look at start looking at okay, what actually happened here, so that we can address it in the future rather than just pointing it in random directions and saying you're racist. And so it's a wide brush, and they get to paint everything with it, and you can't question it because then you are a racist. Yeah, it's, uh, it's genius. It's a genius ploy. Whoever's pushing it, trying to win. But I don't know what they're going to win when they're successful because everything's just going to be chaos. I think some of the incentives, particularly for academic types, is people following their own career incentives. And if you can find the next thing that's racist or the next thing that's that's offensive that you're going to rescue everybody from, then that's a feather in your cap, I guess. But it's it comes at the expense of the culture. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a lot of kind of a, like what God syndromes or the Messiah complex. A lot of people see, seem to kind of have the Messiah complex. The, the Messiah complex. They want to save yeah. everybody. Yeah, like they're responsible for saving everybody. Um, yeah, it's it's a confusing mindset. I try to wrap my head around it. I don't think it's just one mindset that leads to the woke social justice warriors. I think there's probably a few, but the God. Mm -hmm. complex yeah that's that's part of it i'm going to rescue everybody yeah um so we're you know, we're talking about violence a little bit um one of the statistics that i i always have thrown at me is the the one in uh three women suffer from domestic violence but it's there's no real numbers or nobody talks about the numbers about men who suffer from domestic violence uh you you actually did have a video uh, up on your website 
they kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, but yeah, why don't we get to hear about this more? And why isn't there aren't these numbers pushed out there more? Why don't people talk about it more? Because violence does happen both ways. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And the one in four, the one in three statistic, it used to be one in four, but it got upgraded, I guess. And that just came from a old questionnaire from a feminist organization. I can't remember who put it out, but it, it included things like, have you ever felt uncomfortable? And if you've ever felt uncomfortable, then that was counted. You know, sorry, be more specific. Have you ever felt uncomfortable in the presence of a man? You, you know, that level of questioning all the way up to have you ever been abused and it all got counted as violence and so that's that's where that statistic came from it, it's a junk statistic it's been debunked a thousand times but there are statistics that are a little more legitimate like from the centers for disease controls for example they look at epidemiological data and they have found that men and women in intimate relationships get violent about equal about 50 50 and they do it differently there's a there are some differences in the way violence unfolds when a man does it versus when a, when a woman does it and there's also differences in the way they act it out so a woman for example will typically on average more than men will use objects they'll throw things and they will also corner men so they'll corner men in the shower they'll corner men in the bed they'll corner men when they're driving and my thinking on that is that she is that kind of behavior suggests that a person has gotten to a level where she is so desperate to be heard, whatever she's saying, that she has to corner you when you're in the shower and and just be, berate you and, and start getting violent. And obviously, it's not a good way to communicate, but maybe it helps yeah. to understand where it comes from. Whereas men do things a little bit differently, they will, you know, it tends to be more striking and it tends to be more just out of sheer frustration or anger or jealousy women women jealousy too but um, not so much the cornering and a lot of times men will i have to be careful when i say this because I, I don't really know what the statistics are but i know that it is a common dynamic i know from my clinical practice is a common dynamic that a man will sometimes i'm not saying this is when all men get violent because clearly it isn't but sometimes a man is cornered and mm -hmm. he's cornered in the basement, for example, and, and in order for, you know, things are escalating and in order for him to get out of the situation, he has to get past her. And so that can devolve into um, either he just brushed against her and she fell down. I've heard that. And it can also turn into he gets violent and, and mm -hmm. physically gets her out of the way. So that, to say that, you know, the, the information that's out there about domestic violence is so misleading and so useless because it doesn't tell you anything about how violence unfolds in relationships and yeah. how if you know how it unfolds then maybe you have some ideas how to intervene but we still have these really old models that date back to feminists from the 1970s and that's the treatment model that persists today for domestic violence and it assumes that it's always men on women and it assumes that it's always a power imbalance and it completely disregards these more subtle types of dynamics that I'm talking about right now and that the CDC has been able to find. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard of guys, I've had friends who were in situations where they couldn't get out of the apartment. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they got in trouble because they, they had to push their way out of the apartment. And if there's any marks left or anything in that regard, you're, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, no good. Uh, I also had a friend who, who had a girl who followed him 
from place to place to place, constantly attacking him until he finally is not right. He did the wrong thing and hit her. Then like, he, he ended up doing time because of that. But like, yeah, I don't know. Lock yourself in the car and just stay <laughs> until she goes away, I guess. Yeah. And, and you want to create as much distance as you can permanently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we got a uh, super chat here. Conk says, um, in regards to woke, it's in the name critical theory. There is only problems, no solutions. Yeah. Their theory believes that if we criticize enough, then we might, then we magically hit utopia. It's very similar to the underpants gnomes in <laughs> South Park. <laughs> I know Conk. Conk is based, yeah. and and he's he's and very he, based. He pops he up a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's the funny. underpants gnomes. Yeah, it is. It is in the name. They. You get points for finding not, the next problem. critical solutions. Yeah, the, right. Where's the critical solutions? No. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's, that's just something that's terrifying for me, though, because I am in California, and they're pushing the critical race theory stuff, and my kids are mixed. Are they going to train my kids that their white dad is evil? Mm -hmm. You know, am I, am I going to have, you know, kids that hit teenage years, and now I can't, I can't have them in my life because they think I'm an evil racist just because that's what their teachers told them. Yeah. What are your plans with that? I don't know because the mother is, uh, she's very, uh, status oriented. So she wants the kids to go to like private schools and ex really expensive things that I don't think make a difference. You know, um, I have a teaching degree. I have no problem homeschooling kids. I'd love to homeschool the kids. I like spending time with my kids. Uh, I kind of liked um, COVID because I got to spend more time with my kids. They're at home more. I can work from home, but I can take breaks whenever they have breaks. It's just I, I enjoy it more. Like that was the reason I had kids. Like I always wanted to have children. I wanted to have two sons and I wanted to spend all the time I could with them. It, but so it's uh, frustrating. It's really frustrating because I, I would have no problem because like, you know, socialization, they don't need to go to the school. They can go to jujitsu practice. They have wrestling practice. They have football games. They have friends and play dates. Like it's not a, it's not an issue. So I don't want to spend fifteen, twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 a year per child just yeah. to get them in a private school that, that may also teach critical race theory. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know what to do. Well, best I can do right now and what I'm planning on is just, I just need to be there for them. I need to talk with them. I need to spend time with them. I need to, um, you know, allow like logical thought and reason to them, mm -hmm. teach them critical thinking, let them know that they don't have to think what I think and qu how to question things and like the right questions to ask. I think that's, I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you're, I think you're onto a good strategy there. You probably don't want to get into a battle against the critical race or you just want them thinking for themselves and yeah. all the time you're spending with them, they're they're not going to be convinced that you're the bad guy. Yeah. I, I think that's too. I think put it put in the time. That's the biggest thing any parent I think can do is just put in the time. Like if you yeah. if you're there for them, if they know you're gonna be there. Because I, I feel like I didn't get into trouble a lot of times. And when I when I felt that like something's off, I think I should probably leave feeling. It was because like I was used to my mom being around or my dad being around and like, you know, if I did something wrong or I made a mistake when they're around, I was definitely going to get caught. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they weren't around and I could mess around and I knew I wasn't going to get caught, like I'd be up to a lot more no good. So I think, you know, as I grew up, you know, I, I didn't have the same like them over my shoulder thinking that, oh, they're going to catch me or I'm going to get in trouble. But it was still, 
yeah, you know, I should probably listen to my instincts. This doesn't feel right. Let's just go. Yeah. I, I love the way you listen to your instincts. You got to get that message out to more guys. Yeah. They haven't, man, they haven't really let me down, but I've ignored them. Ignore them plenty. Yeah. And that's what do you, if you don't mind my asking, um, I'll tell you what I do to ignore my instincts. I'll usually, I, I get up in my head and I start rationalizing about things and I have something that I want to be true. And so I'll find logical reasons mm. for that to be true. What do you do to ignore your intuition? I don't know if I can ignore it. Like I can't remember the last time, you know, well, it was, well, you know, getting married in the, the last relationship, I guess it was, it was, uh, um, man, oh no, you're just, you're just being jealous or, oh no, this, whatever, you're just being stupid or, or um, okay. kind of ignoring the fact that, you know, uh, it's natural to like still be attracted to other women when you're with another girl or, or things like that. Like, uh, yeah, I just kind of so, forcing um, myself into like the blue till mentality. I, I know for like, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be a better person and, and do things more the blue pill way. And so that involved a lot of arguing against your emotions a little bit. Yeah. Cause it was like, I can, and I can see this in my journal cause I have a, I have a book out and I'm writing more books, but like I kept like 17 years of journals. So like, I can see like this internal struggle of me as, as a young man, like, why do I have these thoughts? Why am I doing this? Why is this happening? And I thought I was kind of like a bad person because I was, and, but it really was just my instincts telling me that something's off. You need to look uh -huh. closer at what's going on. But you know, you get you get the one itis. You get the oh no, this is the one, and you put the blinders on because yeah. you have a preconstructed notion of who that perfect one is for you. And then when you meet somebody that you that you fall in love with, then you automatically start trying to force them into that perfect box. And then you put the blinders on to everything that doesn't fit in the box. You're like, look, yeah. it's perfect, and, and right. it's clearly not. And a lot of your friends will probably see that it's not. And when they tell you that, you won't listen. Yeah. Yes, what you just said, man, guys, when, when your friends are talking to you and they, and a lot of time guys will start out kind of subtle, like they'll say, they'll ask, is everything okay? Or they'll say, hey man, you changed a little bit. And they're kind of getting at, I think you're screwing up here and you gotta be, you gotta be open to those messages from your friends because they're looking out for you and yeah. maybe they're wrong, but at least give them a chance to say their piece. Yeah, it's uh, important to listen. And it, I mean, it's good to have friends too around you that will just be assholes. Like oh, most of my friends are assholes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and a lot of them I didn't like at first, but then we realized, oh, you're an asshole like me. That's why. Okay. <laughs> then we, then we, then we're friends because like we have no problem telling each other like, dude, your shoes look stupid. <laughs> like, okay. So what do you mean asshole? Cause that, that's, that's a good friend that can tell you your friends look, it's a good friend that can tell you your shoes look stupid. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I mean, asshole, I use asshole because it's the expression that other people would use for us. It's not what we right. use for us. We're just honest. Right. And we don't, we'd rather live in a brutal reality than a, than a fake, nice lie. Right. So like I'm using the word asshole, not because I think they're assholes, but because I know other people call us assholes because of what, the way we talk. Gotcha. And I know what you said is true, but I don't like the way you said it type of type of stuff. Yeah. What do you mean? No, that's a common, that's a common thing that, 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 um, I will at least I'll hear from women when, if I'm, if I'm being an asshole, oh, okay. I gotcha. it's not, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. What that means is right. you said something true and they right. don't like it. Right. Yeah. yeah you got that. You got to get that universal translator going sometimes mm -hmm. when you're dealing with the non assholes out there, meaning the people who can't be very direct. Yes. And, and, and that's kind of a skill you kind of have to learn too, though, is the people who 
aren't able to communicate directly like my asshole friends like picking up on their cues that they're uncomfortable or they don't want to do something because they're they're unwilling to be like no i'm I'm not doing this screw you right yeah so you, you gotta you gotta pick up on those little non-verbals yeah but would you have you ever read robert glover's book no more mr nice guy yes i did and, and i've recommended it to a couple of friends and like uh the two friends that i recommended it to like they couldn't get through it like it was yeah. too it spoke to them too much and they, they put it away because they didn't want to, they didn't want to give up the nice guy yet. I think it's one of those guys. It's one of those books that guys have to find when they're ready. And yeah, you most can give it to somebody space. if they're not ready. They're not going to read it. Yep, most of the space is like that. I most think. of the space. This space is like kind of red pill man, whatever yeah. stuff. Ma male self improvement, I prefer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what it is. Like most guys, they got to get zeroed out, or, or or something has to happen to them. You know, it's almost trauma inducing and they're like, what's going on? Like my whole world doesn't make any sense. I need to find some direction. Yeah. And you just kind of start looking for answers. Cause I, I, for me, I'm, I'm a, you know, athlete, I've been a competitive athlete my whole life. So I break everything down very analytically. Like what happened? Why did this happen? You know, you know, can I prevent this half from happening again? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I started going research mode you know, when the, when the relationship falls apart, that's, that's all I'm doing. I become a professional researcher on like, you know, uh, uh, human, human interaction and, and relationships and whatever. And I end up finding the, the red pill and trying to figure out what happened with my life and why things happen. And you start to realize that, Oh shit, like this blue pill stuff, they kind of brainwash you with when you're growing up ends up being really unattractive to a lot of females. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about you before we talked because I, I was kind of looking at your your record and so forth. And you're you're like a you're a really smart fighter. Like you're patient and you're methodical and you're yeah. you're a chess player. Yeah. And I was I was speculating that you're probably the kind of guy that tracks a lot of data and you don't just track it. I would I would speculate that you track it and you use it more effectively than than any statistician out there. Did I guess right? Uh, yes, but I mean, it's not, I don't really crunch numbers, but like I take in, uh, yeah, take in as much inf information as I can process it and figure out what I can use to my advantage the most. Yeah. So you, and, and, and I, and then you keeping, uh, you know, keeping my journal for a long time was one of those things where I log, you know, it's kind of logging everything, you know, uh -huh. how much did I eat that day? Like how much did I weigh? What were my workouts? How did I feel during the workouts? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I imagined you writing down yeah. yeah, and actually use and actually looking at it, not just writing. Looking it down. At it, yeah. Cause it was a great tool for, for, uh, as an athlete, because I, I would be in a training camp and you would start to, at a certain point, I would start to like kind of hit a wall and not feel good. Mm -hmm. But, and I could use that time. I would go back and look at other training camps and then see, Oh wow. What do you know? Week six is like, I had a flat week. You're like, Oh, this is week six. I'm having a flat week. Oh, I wonder what's going on. So then like, I start to notice the patterns throughout these, cause every training camp is kind of the same. You're putting in the same type of workouts, you're doing different stuff, different opponents, but like the workout schedule is kind of the same. So, um, you know, you monitor your weight, your food intake, what your cardio is. Okay. I'm this many weeks out. I was able to do, uh, this on the, on the bike, or I was able to do this on the, on the cardio machine. And my heart rate was at this point. So like, yeah, I put a lot of that stuff down and I could look back and forth and, and check on that. Right. So that inquisitive nature that also brought you to this space 
men's improvement, red pill, whatever you want to call it. And what, if, again, tell me to mind my own business if you want, but what would you say are, are the biggest blue pill lies you got growing up? Um, oh, well, first is like too much pressure on, 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 uh, I think partying when you're young as a man, you know, Oh, live a little, mm-hmm. well, you know, the, the work life balance type of thing, I think is a lot of bullshit. Um, in my twenties, I was successful, uh, well, later half of my twenties, I was really successful because I, I just trained. I, I put a hundred percent effort into being obsessed with being the best at what I was doing. And I was trying to build myself so I would be a better, bigger person with more everything. Like early twenties, late teens was like, I was still competing and wrestling, whatever, but it was like party chase girls where you're only young once. Mm-hmm. And with that mentality, if you carry that, if I would have carried that all the way through into my thirties, I would have been 30 with nothing. Like there was no way that I would have been, you know, if I would have partied like I did at 19 to, to 22, 23, if, if I would have partied the same way, you know, I moved out to California. It's one of the reasons I moved to California is because it was a way to step away from my circle of, I've got, I know where all the drink specials are at every bar during the week. So I know where I'm going seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a way to get away from all the friends and everybody and, and not be pulled out to the bar because I was completely isolated. Right. So were you starting to question things back then or are you just, just going? Uh, yeah, I've always been, I was always been trying to figure it out. I always thought like I need to figure out how the world works. I need to figure it out. Like there was some answer that I need to find. Yeah. And that that was one of the things I've grown up. There is no one answer. There's just, you know, you just got to, you got to figure out what the current is and then figure out how to use the current to live the best life possible. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's, that's interesting because I never really thought about this. I, you know, one itis is a problem with, with men, but I never really pieced that together that you can have one itis with your, what you think is the way or the answer or your purpose. Oh, that's true. That, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of the big things that helped me too was, what was it? The Zen, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was a book I read like as, in a grad, as a grad school student. And that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things about not being plugged into the normal blue pill system where you have to go to school, you have to get a degree, and then you have to get a job with a degree. Because I would have ended up uh, a high school teacher or junior high, probably mm-hmm. wrestling coach. But that's because that was the path that was laid out before me because this is the way because this is how you have to do things right. rather than, you know, I could I could learn how to fight or I could take my wrestling and open up a gym and just teach wrestling at the gym. And I, would, I wouldn't even have to have a normal job. That could have been my job, gym owner, wrestling instructor. Like there's all these uh, other options available rather than uh, you've got to follow this path, which I don't think, yeah, I don't think is taught enough of. I don't think so either. And I think that following a path the way you followed it, um, talking about the woke culture earlier, I think if more people were not so beholden to, this sounds terrible what I'm about to say, because I, I have been beholden to employers and, and professors and so forth, but it's part of the problem. It's part of the reason this woke culture is taking over is because we don't have a critical mass of people who are willing to square off with their bosses, their supervisors, their yeah. HR department, their professors and say, no, that's enough. I'm not, I'm not playing this game because, yeah. you know, sometimes you got a little kid at home or whatever, and you just are not in a position to 
put your paycheck at risk. But if you build a career that's a little more anti-fragile and that the seem to sense like, of the word I, where, yeah. I, I, I'm from a sport that's extremely um, uh, manipulated, uh, exploited. Athletes are extremely exploited. Uh, yes. And guys, these guys, especially the guys at the top, you know, they're, they're begging for five to $10 million when, when these guys could clearly make 15 to $25 million per, per fight, uh, if it was on a boxing model, but because the way things are like, you know, UFC has complete control and they only pay the athletes 20% of the revenue. Our, uh, our, uh, our, uh, um, economist guys, they, they estimate that they're, 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 they're pocketing 60% of the profits that they should be reimbursing back to the, the fighters. So like these guys are losing tons of money, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars through their career. And they won't, they won't say anything because they don't want to rock the boat because if they lose their job now, mm -hmm. they can't feed their kids. They can't, they can't make any money. It's yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Yeah. So you can get those golden handcuffs on and it can trap you like that. And it can also trap you in a workplace where the woke culture is mm -hmm. destroying you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we see that with the uh, was it Google the guy the Demore James Demore that mm -hmm. that wrote the internal memo and got fired. Like it seems, it seems yeah, very common. It also seems like a lot of a lot of scientists, biologists, and and those type of academics, not academics, but uh, what's the word for them? Actually, practitioners won't step forward and say things because the academics will attack them or they'll get mm -hmm. canceled for for speaking the truth because it, it goes against what you know. The, uh, the world culture wants. Yes. If you're a psychological researcher right now in all but a few places, you got to toe the line. And the APA even put out uh, some guidelines recently. They, they weren't guidelines like the APA guidelines. It was a, a policy statement basically where they said, essentially, they're going to start running research findings through a political litmus test. You have to think about what are the policy implications of your findings, which is stupid. There should be no policy implications for findings. Most findings are so nascent and irrelevant to anything in the world that you shouldn't be thinking about that. But it was that sort of, you, you have to really think about who this is going to affect and how it's going to affect them. And once you start asking questions like that, you can't do research because research should just be asking open-ended questions. But yep. this being an example of if you're trying to make, make your way in psychological research, man, you've, you almost don't have a chance if you're not willing to toe the ideological line. And it's very disturbing. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of disturbing coming forward. This summer is going to be kind of wild, I think. <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, okay, I wanted to, one last little topic. I think I want to talk about was was uh, hypergamy. It's a yeah. it's constantly hot topic. Everybody's constantly talking about it. And uh, you did have a video on it on your on your website, which uh, which I'm gonna I'm gonna share real quick actually. This is your about page. And uh, you did have some, uh, what was it? Is it uh, your an old uh, picture? Old picture. You got all, all your hair. Still, oh, it's, it's not great yet. At least you have all your hair. Let's see. Uh, it's your about your service. Well, I don't know where the homepage went. But you had. Uh, you had some, you have some videos up there and you didn't have a video on, on hypergamy and 
want to get some of your opinions on it. Yeah, my, my 42 minutes on hypergamy. I, I really wrestled with that. It was interesting. The, the root where it came from was Indian yeah. culture, and they, they needed a word to come up with, you know, the, the, the father finding a suitable uh, husband for his daughter. Yeah, I think it was a British um, census taker that noticed this, this phenomenon going on in, in the caste system of men wanting to marry their daughters up to the next level of the caste. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I spent 42 minutes on that. And I wrestled with that video for about six months because some of the stuff I was hearing in the red pill community made a lot of sense. And some mm -hmm. of the stuff that I'm hearing in the psychological community makes a lot of sense, but they didn't play nicely together. They're, mm -hmm. There's some really contradictory ideas. So that's why I wrestled so much with that video. And I just tried to give it an even-handed approach. I'll give you my, my, Reader's Digest version of what I think about hypergamy that I have. Yeah, first of all, hypergamy is real. It's absolutely real. Women want to yeah. marry men of higher status than themselves. Yeah. Just, that that's so obvious to me that it's mm -hmm. not very interesting. But guys need to hear it because I don't. It, you know, when, when I think back to myself at twenty years old, it wasn't so obvious to me, and the implications yeah, of it weren't so obvious. And it's a really I mean, important you could thing. you could sense yeah. it. It was an instinctual thing you could sense, but like yes. you were told that no, you just have to be a good person. You just have to be a nice right. guy. Yeah, which is yeah. bullshit. It's yeah. and it's it's. I shouldn't be so cavalier to say it's bullshit. It's it, it will send you down the wrong path yeah. with or, yourself, or it'll get you with women stuck second. in a bad situation. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So hypergamy is real. What the red pill community does with hypergamy is a lot of theorizing. And I'm, I'm fine with that. No problem with the theorizing. I think that I like a good marketplace of ideas. And I like people throwing ideas out there, even if I don't agree with them all. And there's a lot of, it gets really complicated with the hypergamy and how it gets, how it gets applied and so forth. So you have these guys out there that are theorizing. I think that's cool. I have no problem with it. Where I get, where I get a little worked up about it is when I hear guys, consumers of information, applying this idea of hypergamy to individual cases. And, and the red pill community, the internet in general, it's a marketplace of ideas. And it's like any marketplace where there's going to be all kinds of people trying to sell you all kinds of things. It's like a marketplace of cars. If you're going to be a, buying a car, it helps if you know how to evaluate the cars that you're going to be buying. If you're going to be participating in a marketplace of ideas, it helps to know how to evaluate ideas that are being sold to you. And this is where I, I get a little worked up because I see guys out there, you can see it so often, where guys will disregard other variables. Even though hypergamy is an important variable, there's other variables like mental health, um, clarity of intent, emotional maturity, shared values, character, family. You know, there's all these va variables to look at when you're evaluating somebody to bring into your life potentially. And most of them are much more important than hypergamy, but guys who have not been trained thanks to our education system, how to evaluate ideas, they disregard all of that because they have one variable called hypergamy that they think they understand and they think they can use it to read somebody's mind and that's how they get into t their tit in the ringers, my dad used to say. That's how they get themselves in trouble. That's a good one. You know, there, there's so <laughs> there's so many variables. You cannot you cannot look at a human yeah. being and say, "I've studied this one variable, and now I understand you." Because human beings are massively complicated, multivariate creatures, and yeah. your one variable may be real, 
but it doesn't tell you jack shit about any individual. Sorry, I, I get a little worked up about this. Uh, that's fine. No, I think that, uh, yeah, hypergamy, yeah, hypergamy is real. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, the, you know, the original Batman movie with uh, uh, Michael Jack Keaton? Michael Keaton. Yeah, Jack Nooks, yeah. You know how like, they poison people, right? If they yeah. put the products, they put the, put the poison in like hair products, deodorant, lipstick, whatever. If you use one of the products, like you were fine. But when mm -hmm. you had a mixture of them, then you'd get enough poison that you died. Right? Yes, I think hypergamy, Yeah, so I think <laughs> the uh, the hypergamy is one of those elements. Like it's the deodorant, right? But if you have like you know loss of uh, social circle, loss of wages, and you get fat, well now you you've got the hairspray, uh, the makeup, and and mm -hmm. lotion, body lotion. Now 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 the relationship's dead, right? Because you have yes. you have so many factors that added up. And and <clears throat> when she's done and had enough, well, of course she's gonna upscale. She's not gonna she's not gonna leave you for somebody lower, right? Yeah. And and, and I think the uh, what they're looking for changes with age, also. Mm -hmm. You know, the twenty two year old's probably gonna hypergamy you over for the the rock star, whereas the thirty six year old <clears throat> will probably leave you for the accountant who's a nerd and makes a lot of money and will let her do whatever she wants on average, but the 22 year old from the middle of Kansas might behave a little differently than the 20 year old from San Francisco. Oh, there you you go. Know, there are a lot of variables here involved. Lots of variables. That's why it is very important to date lots of women when you're young. It is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think guys should be settling down unless that unless they have a very clear sense of where they're going. And they're, mm -hmm. they're crystal clear on where they're going and they meet somebody who is also crystal clear on where she's going, then cool. You've got shared that, values. That can, shared be, culture. That, can be, that can be tricky, I think, sometimes, though, yeah. because from my personal experience and I've learned in the space is that, that women tend to adapt the guy they're attracted to, traits and ideas and, and ideologies. Yeah. But like once the relationship's over, then those change. So, or once they decide that they don't want to do whatever anymore. So for me, like, like I was always, I always knew what I wanted to do. Like when I was a little kid, I was going to have two sons. I was going to be a professional athlete. I thought I was going to be a football player, but I was like, this is what I'm doing. Then I'm going to make a lot of money and then I'm going to retire and raise my kids and not have to work because I made a bunch of money in my sport. And then I'll have a wife. And if she wants to work, she can for fun. But like, we'll have the money for my fight, my, my professional athlete career. That was my mindset. And I met somebody and I, they were on the same page until they weren't. Right. Yeah. And that was, it was already too late. It's like, she changed her mind after either right before we got married or right after either way, she wanted to make sure she got the wedding. Yeah. How long did you, how long did you date her? If you don't mind my asking seven and a half years. Okay. So good long time. So she, yeah. she put up a, I don't, I don't know if she put up a front, but it's kind of unusual that somebody would be able to put up a front for seven years. And so something changed in her. Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure what happened, but there was a major change right before the wedding, but I just put my blinders on and uh, went through with it. And then things continually degraded throughout the next seven and a half years. Yeah. 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 There's a great movie and it's very obscure. And this was, I, I watched it when I was young and it was one of those movies that got me thinking in more of a red pill direction, I guess. It's called The Big Kahuna, and it had Kevin Spacey and Danny DeVito, I think. And there's these two salesmen that were out on the road, and there was a younger salesman that was with them. And he was about to get married, this younger guy. And these two older guys, they'd been through it already. They, they knew the lay of the <laughs> land. And 
they were challenging him quite a bit on why he was making this decision. And Kevin Spacey's character, I think, had this great line where he had been pushing this kid on why are you marrying her? And the kid was saying, well, we're, we are essentially we have the same values. We're both religious people and this is the path mm -hmm. that we're following. And he said something along the lines of, well, you got to be careful because sometimes somebody with principles will meet somebody else with principles and they connect. But down the road, they find out that their principles weren't the same. And I'm not doing it justice, but it really got me thinking as a young man about the role of values and how, mm. it can, how tricky it can be to try yeah. to sort that out with somebody. Yeah, I think, I think one, of the, one of the red flags I should have been aware of, like, you know, like the acceptance and like being okay with divorce and like, it's no big deal. Like she had that attitude. Where I was really? like, no, I think it's, I think it's terrible. Like, I don't have a lot of people in my family that were ever divorced. I think divorce people don't, didn't take marriage seriously, you know, like they jumped mm -hmm. into it and they weren't really considerate about whatever. And, uh, that should have been kind of a red flag. Like if they, they entertain the idea like divorce is okay at all. I think that's, it's kind of a red flag. Yeah. So you could have potentially read that as there's a, there's an important difference in values here. So yeah. it's not lining up. Yep but you put the blinders on because you found the yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that was, that's probably the, uh, like, yes, earlier, the number one blue pill thing I think that I shook was the, you can't date two women at the same time. That was something I never did until after I was divorced. Yeah. Cause it was, it was morally wrong. Right. Yeah. So you were trained to be the, the nice, you were trained to be a nice guy. Oh, and when I say nice guy, good, I mean a good, you, true alpha would never date two women at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I should clarify when I say nice guy, I'm talking about the Robert Glover sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anybody who doesn't know what that is, I recommend the book. Go read it. Yeah, it's a great, it really is a great book. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. Let's see if I, that was it. Yeah. I think you got through most of my questions. Uh, do you have any, anything you're working on or anything uh, you, you want to tell people about? Uh, well, I always got something in the hopper. I got a, a book that's been underway for a while here. This one's challenging me a little bit, but hopefully in the next year or two, it'll be out. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. We've uh, been going an hour here. That was awesome. I learned quite a bit. Um, did I have one more question? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So that's it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah. So this is actually kind of a big question for me personally, but uh, because I, I, you know, California, so the the mother has um, <clears throat> custodial rights to the kids. So, like, basically, she has to make the decisions when it really comes down to it. So, if she wants to put the kids into counseling. Like, I don't really, I don't really have say in it. Hmm. I don't think legally. I can't be like, no, I don't want this to happen. She's going to do it anyways. Um, like, so I won't really get a, a to say who they talk to or what kind of counselor they talk to. So I have no idea what's going to happen if, if that's going on. I don't even know if she has to tell me if she puts them in a counseling. So uh, is there any tips or, or things I can like prepare to help keep them on the right path? I, I don't know. Any kind, so on. <laughs> any kind of deprogramming? Yeah. It, Cause it's so, so unreasonable. It seems really unreasonable that they can send a kid. Oh, but but you're a bad person for questioning it because right. they have this automatic, you know, authority. Uh, it's like an authority complex. I think it's like, oh, they have this badge, so we have to listen to everything they say, and they never, they're never wrong. 
Yeah. It's extremely, I, I bang my head against the wall. There's a lot of people that are like, that's not just like women, but like there are a lot of people that are like, oh, well they have the authority badge. So like I have to do everything they say. They're always right. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, I'm not worried about your kids. Cause you, you got, you clearly got your head on straight and you're teaching them how to think and you're spending the time with them. They're, I think they're going to be fine. What do you think? I, I think so too. As long as I can continually spend time with them, talk to them and, and you know, point things out like I, I i watch their shows and movies and cartoons and whatever with them and i'll stop it and be like this is fun fantasy but probably unrealistic in the life and like oh yeah we know and then we'll yeah. turn the show back on it's a challenge not to try to tell your kids what to think at least for me it is i've had to really guard myself against mm -hmm. that with my daughter and just like you say give her the skills to question things and think about things and we'll go back if we watched a show we'll go back and just talk about what the characters did and what do you think about mm -hmm. it and not inject too much of my opinion although she knows what my opinion is but if you well, like it's nice to have opinion it's yeah. nice too to have the internet because i can be like hey check this out this is this is a study that was done this is a thing that was you know you can you can show yeah. them <clears throat> without directly attacking something that was you know learned or whatever you can just show them mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, look what I found. This is cool. And then, yeah. yeah, here's another, another point of view. Here's another point of view. This is just, I don't know who's right. You guys can decide. Yeah. But as long as it's not just one thing shoved down their throat, I think it, it, it at least it allows them to realize that, Hey, wow, there's, there's two different things going on here, mm -hmm. you know, rather than you're only force fed one and then you become a teenager and then you meet kids outside your circle and you're like, Whoa, there's, there's other opinions, there's other stuff. And then now they turn to other kids and other teenagers for more answers rather than you, because you, you hid a certain side from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they'll be fine. That's <laughs> good. All right. Well, Sean, thank you very much uh, for stopping by. Yeah. John's really good to meet you. I appreciate the opportunity here. That was awesome. Uh, keep up the good work. We need more guys like you out there doing the good work well thanks man all right uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna put you in the back and then uh play everybody off <clears throat> all right take take it easy all right guys that was a good talk i learned a lot did you learn a lot i wish i would have had access to somebody like sean when i was uh <clears throat> going through my my counseling stuff because i i did not have a good experience that was kind of a, a big waste of money uh, all right, let's play some fun. Early one morning, making the rounds. Took a shot of coke and I shot my woman down. Went right home and I went to bed. Stuck that loving 44 beneath my head. Got up the next morning and I grabbed that gun. Took a shot of cocaine and away I run. Been real good, but I run too slow. Overtook me down in Juarez, Mexico. Laid in the high joints, smoking the pills. Walked a sheriff from Jericho Hill. Said, Billy Lee, your name is not Jack Brown. You're that dirty hack that shot that bad bitch down. Said, yes, yes, my name is Billy Lee. You got a warrant just to read it to me. Shot her down cause she may be sore Thought it was her daddy but she had five more When I was arrested I was dressed in black 
Put me on a train and took me back Had no friends to forego my bail Stopped my car up carcass in the county jail Early the next morning about half past nine Seen the sheriff coming down the line Up he coughed as he cleared his throat you dirty hack to the district court in the courtroom my trial began i was handled by 12 honest men just before the judge started out i seen a little judgments to the good about you know about five minutes and walked a man holding a verdict in his right hand Verdict read in the first degree. Shallard, loaded, loaded, have mercy on me. Another judge smiled as he picked up his pen. Nine, nine years in the wholesome pen. Nine, nine years underneath that ground. I can't forget the day I shot that bad bitch down. Come on, you gotta listen to me. Play all that whiskey and let that cocaine be. Yeehaw. Leave that cocaine be, y'all. Check you later.